0: matthew chapter 19 we are continuing our study through the gospel of matthew Uh, we have the lord's supper today uh, so we can have a time of communion to reflect for on the uh the the broken body of christ uh, that he died for us that we might have life Um, so we're at the very end of matthew uh, matthew 19 verse 27 and we're going to go into chapter 20 today's story is of uh, is is the parables of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, so often that story is handled by itself. I almost handled the story by itself. Uh, but last week, as I was, as we went through the end of Matthew 19, literally last Saturday night, it really dawned on me th- that the very end of chapter 19 is—it's it- really a part of chapter 20. This parable. This parable it- it connects very clearly um, to the very end of of last week's, or we didn't cover it last week. It it covers the very end of chapter 19. So um, let's begin. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, Father, I thank you uh, for um, this country that we live in. Lord, I know that, um, you know, this political season, there's always uh, conflict, turmoil, uh, people... Rooting for one person or another and 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 thinking that that person will solve the problems and Lord we know uh, that ultimately uh, it's you uh, that we should put our trust in, uh, Father, we are grateful for this nation that we live in uh, lord we um, we have so many freedoms and benefits uh, by holding uh, citizenship in this nation, and so lord we we thank you, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would help us uh, to be good stewards of uh, being entrusted uh, t- to this blessing. Uh, Father, we thank you for those who have fallen. Uh, Lord, I know that there are many in this room who have lost loved ones um, over the years through multiple compl- conflicts. And uh, it's, a, it's a painful thing, and the wounds run deep and long. And, and so, Lord, we, we turn to you, and we ask that you would continue to uh, provide healing uh, for those who have uh, suffered loss uh, through the through combat and the great uh, wounds that come uh, through that. Uh, Father, we ask that you'd bless our time now, Lord, as we study your word, and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Matthew 19, verse 27. Yeah. Uh, then Peter said to him, Behold, we have lost everything, And followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them Truly I say to you, who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day, all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius when they received it they grumbled at the landowner saying these last men have worked only 1 hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day but he answered and said to them friend am i doing friend i am doing you no wrong did you not agree with me for a denarius take what is yours and go But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. And Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us by your spirit, Lord, to understand this text correctly in context Lord, I pray that as we work through this passage, that you would uh, speak to each one of us, Lord, help us to draw principles in our own life of of how this applies to us. Uh, Lord, what the implications and applications are uh, to each one of us here in this room. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Okay, so we pick up in verse 27 at the end of, of chapter 19, and it says, uh, Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have, lost every, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? So we sort of open this passage with, a, there's this question, and and if you weren't here last week and you haven't been going through Matthew, it's like, well, what's he talking about? What's, what's been happening? Uh, and, and that's an important question. This The story sort of flows and fits together. Uh, Jesus has made his descent from Galilee down to the southern part of Israel, east of Jerusalem, and they're making their way sort of from the east side of the Jordan River across to Jerusalem. And somewhere in between uh, that region, uh, this young rich ruler approaches Jesus. Uh, He's a good Jewish man. I use the word good sort of loosely, just in general terms. He was a religious man. I believe that he was devout. Um, He... He sensed that he was lacking something in his life, and so he makes his way to christ and as he goes to Christ, he says, "You know what what do I have to do to earn eternal life like I recognize that i'm that i 'm lacking something in my own life. I recognize that, as religious as I am as, as I go through the motions as I do everything there 's still something within me that's that 's missing the mark, and so Jesus sort of Pauses him as he we're told through the all the accounts of the gospels that this that this guy runs to Jesus he takes a knee before Jesus you get this sort of the sense that he's he's rushing he only has a short window to make his case to this very famous rabbi um, I don't think he thinks oh I have all afternoon to spend so I got to get I got to make my case quick he runs up hey what do I have to do so Jesus says hey why do why do you call me good like wh- why do you ask about a good thing there's only one who's good and he's referring to God and he never sort of he never sort of pushes back saying that what he said about him was blasphemy. He acknowledges Jesus is actually trying to highlight the case that he is indeed the Messiah. And he says, you know, you you need to understand when you use this word good, you you need to recognize what that word good means. And there's only one who fits that that bill. And that's me. Uh, It's God. And then he goes on to say, what you need to do is to keep the commandments. So here's this young man. He's down. He's a good Jewish boy. He's He's, he's kept the commandments, he's, he, and he he looks at Jesus, he's like, well, wh- which commandments? I, I, like, I keep a lot of the commandments. I do most of the commandments. The Old Testament, there's 613 commandments, and then you have rabbinical teaching in addition to that, and who no, nobody's even attempted to count the, the rabbinical laws in addition to the Old Testament text. And he, he looks at Jesus and says, which, which commands am I supposed to follow? And so Jesus looks at them, and he lists... Uh, uh, what was my math? There's four and two, six. <laughs> so there's four negative ones. He, he, he pulls um, a number of them from the second half of the Ten Commandments, all of the commands dealing with others. Um, these were all negative commands. Thou shall not do these things um, like adultery, murder, stealing, you know, the bad ones. They're all, you know, don't, don't do those things. And then the two positive, he says, um, love your neighbor as yourself and honor your mother and father. And so I have a tremendous amount of respect for this young, rich ruler. This young, rich ruler, if you think about it, if he, if he was a prideful man, what he would have done at this point, okay, keep the commands, which ones? These six, I almost put up seven, but six, it says, check, 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 I've done all these. A, a, a prideful, arrogant man would have stood up and said, okay, I guess I'm good, like, this feeling that I have, I must have just had a bad burrito last night. Like, I'm good. Jesus said, everything he said, I've done. But this guy was honest. He was humble. He was really, truly like an example. And he says, you know, I've all those things you've listed, I've, I've done from my childhood. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you haven't. He doesn't start confronting him with sort of the Sermon on the Mount to show him how he's not fulfilled those. He says, okay, you're right. Then what you need to do is you need to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. So there's sort of two commands. Take everything that you have, give it to the poor. If you really want to experience ultimate life, uh, the, the real command was like following, at, following Jesus, but also sort of getting rid of. Now, this wasn't a universal command. This wasn't something that that Jesus... I, I do believe that Jesus, it's a universal command that we all have to hold all of our stuff open-handed to, Je- like, to the Lord, but to this man specifically, he was said, you know, give everything away to the poor. And we're told that when the man heard this, there was resistance in his heart, that there was, he, he stood up. I imagine that there was a tear in his eyes. I believe that this man recognized what, I think he recognized that what Jesus was telling him was the truth and was accurate and what he needed to do. But we're told that because he owned much land and he had much wealth, his stuff Kept him from honoring the very thing that he knew was the right thing to do, and we 're told that he walked away grieving and it 's from this scene that Peter begins to ask well actually before that, before Peter asks his question, Jesus continues and he says you know it 's really difficult for the wealthy um, to inherit eternal life it's, there's, there's unique challenges that come with wealth that there, there are certain temptations that that makes it very easy For a person to to walk away from God, Uh, he he uses humor and he says, "Well, it's easier for for a camel to go through the eye of the needle." And this, there's a bunch of people that try to explain how camels can go through the eye of the needle. But Jesus is using humor. He's lightning the move. He's saying, "Listen, it's a difficult thing." And then Peter and the disciples are looking at Jesus and says, "Well, if it's possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can be saved?" Because from their understanding. Financial blessing, that was equivalent with God's hand upon you, God, God's hand of blessing. All of the, the, the religious leaders, this was a young, rich ruler, ruler of what? Likely a local synagogue. This was a religious man. And so Peter and the disciples are like, well, if this guy can't like earn eternal life, and if the wealthy can't, and the wealthy they equated with being right with God, how in the world does anybody else have a chance? And Jesus says, you know what? It's impossible for any man to enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus, like, he opens up the net. For all people, it's physically impossible to get to heaven on your own merit, on your own accord, on your own wealth, on your own anything. And then there's this great but, Jesus says, but with God, all things are possible. And it's from this that Peter asks his question. And Peter, I think, representing all of the disciples, They've now been with Jesus is sort of is worth the concluding mark of their 3 years. Jesus is heading to the cross. And Peter said to him, "Behold, we've left everything. We we know that Matthew walked away from his tax business. We know Peter walked away from his family. He would go back, like he but he he, he surrendered his business, like he he left and followed Jesus. They all left everything that they had. Uh, Jesus has told them many times, you know, the son of man has no place to lay his head. They're they're essentially they became sort of 12 homeless guys sort of wandering through Jerusalem doing their teaching and peter says you know we 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 left everything we we gave everything and followed you like what what's what's in it for us like is there any reward for us like like is there any blessing for us like we've done everything that this rich young rich ruler didn't do will there be anything for us and Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, that you who have followed me, he's speaking to these 12, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit on the 12 thrones, uh, judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And so now Jesus is speaking future tense. This is a prophecy. This is, this is really looking um, to the millennial kingdom when Jesus will come back in his second coming and he'll reign and rule for a literal thousand years. He says, during this time when the earth is regeneration, regenerated, when the new kingdom is, uh, is uh, physically ushered in, he says there will be a special place for you, 12. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 speaks of um, the, the foundation that's built on Christ and the apostles, that, that, that they're a part of really, um, you, you have the keystone, which is Christ, but then that very next layer of building block is the teaching of, of the apostles. In Revelation 21.14 um, there's there's a mention of, of, of 12 um, rulers. And I think that Jesus is prophetically sort of speaking forward that during this era, you 12, you apostles, you will have very, very special privilege in the kingdom of heaven. You will have very unique rules. And then he says in verse 29, and everyone else who has left houses or brothers or father or mother or children for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. And so he speaks to the great multitude, those who, who uh, from that point forward, who would, who would walk away from material gains, material wealth and prestige and uh, to follow after Christ with everything that they have. He says, you know what? There's going to be special blessing uh, for these people. But then in verse 30 there's another but this sort of this this axiom this this proverbial statement Jesus throws in he says but many who are first will be last and the last first he sort of makes this case that those who who run the race of their lives living for me who seem on this earth from a from a from a you know like a Christian perspective from from those serving Christ that as they enter into the kingdom there will be those who are sort of from our perspective in last place, um, who all of a sudden there's a tie kind of entering into heaven. Like it's, it's uh, I think of the, you know, one of the movies that's going around in our house right now that we watch on a regular basis is Cars. <laughs> you know, ka-chow, ka <laughs> like little uh, Lightning McQueen. And, you know, that first race that sort of sets up the stage for the whole movie, how they sort of, it's a photo finish. It's a three-way tie between these cars and they have to redo the race. I sort of get this picture that Jesus is saying, you know what, when that when you enter into the kingdom, it's like that, it's a photo finish. You can't it's a it's a ta- like everybody those that are in first place, they're in last, those in last, they're first. And I think at this point, while Jesus begins to answer Peter's questions, he he has a concern about Peter. He's concerned that Peter and the disciples through this whole course, they're continually concerned about who the greatest is going to be next to him? And Jesus is continually saying to them, Guys, it's not about being in first place. It's about serving. It's about giving your life as a ransom for many, as I as I am setting the stage to, as we head to the Lord's Supper, they're still squabbling over it, like who should wash Jesus' feet? Nobody wants to wash his feet because that, that's that's reserved for the lowest of the low, and so they're all kind of saying back, "Well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I, I want to be top dog." It, we're we're going to get into the very next story next week, or probably in two weeks, because next week we're going to sort of take a pause for Matthew. But but James and James and John's mom is going to come to them and say, "Well, I want my two boys to be right top. How what do we have to do to get them? They want to be right there with you. Like they're they're all scratching to be right second place next to Jesus, so that they can have the power." And so Jesus tells him, yes, there's going to be reward for you. Yes, you're going to have a special place. But he wants to put on the brakes. And he wants them to understand sort of that this, the kingdom is not operated by human economy, economics. It's not by how humans think. It's not uh, the way we do things. And he, he puts in this proverbial statement, this axiom, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. If we skip down to verse 16 in chapter 20. We'll see that there's a bookend. So Jesus sort of takes this statement when he tells them. He's going to tell this, this, this proverb, this, this, or the, this parable, I should say. And the, the, the parable isn't a true story. Jesus is teaching with a story to make a point. And at the very end of this parable, in verse 16, he says, So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So this whole parable ties in to this question that Peter asked. It all fits together. And so he's already told the twelve, hey, listen, there's going to be there's going to be twelve seats of judgment. You guys, as my apostles, you will be in these seats. You will have special place. You are going to be the founders of the church. Uh, But your attitudes need to understand you need on your heart need to understand your position before me. You need to understand your position before others. You're not greater than everybody else. And so from verse 30, which the verses, I'm so thankful for the French guy in the 1500s who put in the chapter and verses, but they're not, they're not inspired. So don't, don't, don't allow the chapters and verses to get into your mind like you think that God put them there. This is just one story. And so, most times they make sense. Sometimes it's like, ah, they could have, it, you could have, yeah, I, you tried dividing the Bible. I'm not going to criticize. <laughs> like, uh, but many who be first and the first of last, for the kingdom of heaven is like they're asking about the kingdom. They, they want to know what's in the future for them. He says, oh, let me tell you a story. And I love Jesus' story, uh, telling capacity. I love how he taught these truths. And so he teaches this parable. Parable literally means it's a, it's a, it's a truth that goes alongside the story. So the story is told to sort of highlight a truth. Um, so he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, they all would understand this. So he's going to tell the story. There's In this story, we have a, a landowner who sort of is symbolic of the father. We're, we're going to see that there's a foreman, which seems to be symbolic of Christ. Uh, we're going to see the vineyard, which seems to be symbolic of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we'll see the workers. That's those who followed after Christ. And then we're going to see this whole issue of how they're paid. Um, I, I, the, the pay, I, I think, from a human perspective or, or for, from children... Have any of you heard the saying, that's not fair? <laughs> this is what Jesus is sort of dealing with. That's not fair. And and the that, this isn't fair, is sort of dealing with the reality of we don't want fair. We, what we need is mercy. What we need is grace. And so he is trying to help the disciples understand grace. And grace is a it's a radical concept. It, I think it's really difficult for us as humans to understand grace because we don't operate in this sort of economy. This idea that you give what you are not, what somebody doesn't deserve. And so Jesus, I think, is beginning to sort of help them understand what grace is and how God works, and that we don't really want fair with God. And and these disciples, these apostles, they're struggling with fairness because they've walked away from everything. They've followed Jesus. They, they've given everything to him. They, their stories are sort of recorded for, for history. For a lo- like we all laugh at Peter. We all laugh at Thomas. We all laugh at these guys because we think, oh, we would be so much better than them. And when you look at the story going in hindsight, it's like, oh, Peter, you big. You just open your big mouth. You do, yeah, so do we. Thomas, you doubter. Oh, yeah, like we're, like we all haven't doubted. So their stories have been sort of recorded like they're not the heroes. And so here, they're learning a lesson about grace, even though that they, very special, unique roles, even though they've left all, all of them, with the exception of uh, Judas, with the exception of John, but John sort of fits in the others. Like they ultimately all would have their lives taken. They, they were executed for their proclamation of Christ. And John really, he was, they attempted to execute him, but they failed, which I think is almost worse. And so Jesus starts telling them about this parable of the kingdom. He says, okay, there's a kingdom. You guys you guys understand farming. You understand how this works. This is a vineyard. Uh, the, the harvest would come during the fall, during during the hot, hot times where there's Santa Ana-like conditions. Um, and he's going to tell about this work day. So their work day... Um, <clears throat> So we can understand. So there's like the third hour, the sixth hour, all of these things. And I'll remind you guys, the workday goes from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So 6 a.m. is zero hour. Third hour is 9 a.m. Six hour is 12 p.m. all the way to 6 p.m. So he's going to share the story. In my mind, for, for whatever reason, I don't know if any of you guys have been to Home Depot, but if you go to Home Depot at like right when they open, there's always a group of guys there ready to work. They want to work. They um their their day labors. And so when you if you get there like when Home Depot is opening, there's gonna be a big group of them. And I always judge my products, my 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 projects at home. I'm not a handyman. I like sometimes I enjoy it, but Rick knows like he's my go-to. Phone a friend guy, like, hey Rick, I got an issue. <laughs> Okay, talk to me. Talk me through a goose. Like, what's going on? You know, and, and so I'll sort of, I'll, I'll explain things. He's say, okay, you need to go back to Home Depot and get this part. Okay, so I judge my projects by how many trips to Home to Home Depot does it take? <laughs> There's virtually never a one trip Home Depot trip. Like, like, most projects for me are about four to five trips to Home Depot, and so I got to run back, and it's like oh, I need this thingamajigger, and it's like oh, I gotta, um. And so I've noticed, like, well, what was I talking about? Like, so, so I've noticed that when I go there, if I get there first thing in the morning, that there's, like, always a good group of guys. But then you go a few hours later, then the group sort of dwindles down. And then you go later, and it dwindles even further. And then you're there at the end of the day, and there's normally, like, one or two guys there kind of, like, they're almost, like, giving up that they're not going to get any work that day. And this is sort of the picture, and so he says like this, this, this the, the landowner, he went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. It was the harvest time. This is a seasonal sort of job. When he he'd he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. So now a denarius, uh, some say that this was about a, 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 a day's wages for, um, for a day labor. Some will say that it's actually more generous than a day's wages. There seems to be emphasis that this that a denarius was a day wages for like an average worker, um, but a day laborer typically is not an average worker. Typically, they make a lot less than your average worker. So, but for easy math, this seems to be like I think in our terms, if you're talking about a 12-hour day, probably about 100 bucks. Uh, the Old Testament made it very clear. the The law said that if you're hiring day laborers. There's no such thing as a salary. There's no such thing as like paying them at the end of the week. Uh, when they get paid, the law commanded for those that are day laborers because they, they, they needed the paycheck to feed their family the next day. At, at the end of the day, you paid them. So, so there's an Old Testament principle sort of in this story. So Jesus says this, this guy goes down at 6 a.m. or maybe it's like 5.30 a.m. He says, I have about, I need 20 guys to do work. So he picks out his 20 guys. He, he talks with them. He says, I, I need to harvest some. I'll pay you a denarius to work all day to sort of go harvest the grapes. And so these 20 guys say, that's awesome. That's a wonderful pay. I'm going to go into the vineyard. I'm going to work throughout the heat of the day where when they grumble, they're going to, this is like a Santa Ana's happening. They work their whole 12 hours for a denarius, which I believe is a gracious amount of pay for them. So I don't know why that guy had to go back to Home Depot. But in first three, he went out about the third hour. So now if, it was like, if it's at like the beginning of the day, like 5.30 a.m. to get them working by 6 a.m., now he's back there at 9 a.m. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So the guys are still there. He's like, man, I got a big vineyard. I, there's plenty of work that needs to be done. He sees that they're idle. And to those, he said, you go into the vineyard And notice how he negotiates their pay. It's not an hourly wage. He just says, whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. I believe that they heard like, man, this is a guy at the vineyard. He just just offered to pay that group of 20 guys or however many they were, a whole denarius for a whole day. This guy's a gracious landowner. So I don't even need to haggle. I don't need to haggle with him for what I'm going to get paid for my nine-hour shift. Like, whatever this guy's going to pay, he's going to pay good. Like, wh- whatever he pays, he'll, he's not going to rip me off. And so they go to work. And again, he goes at the 6th and the ninth hours. So here, now we're at 12 p.m., I think, and then at 3 p.m. So two more times, he goes back to Home Depot. Oh, there's still guys, hey, some of you come. Some of you guys come. Uh, same thing as the last one. Whatever's right at the end of the day, I'll pay you. Then about the 11th hour. So now the 11th hour, it's 5 p.m. This is the very end of the day. And at the 11th hour, verse 6, he went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he says, you go to the vineyard too. And I think about these guys. I I I forgot to look up with the whole Western days. There's, there's that, um, there's that song that's on the radio. It's like one of the worship songs. We've sang it here a couple times. It's like, give me your eyes for just one second. And there's one line that, that talks about, about this man who who's who's not going home. He's lost his job, but he doesn't want to go home to tell his wife because he's ashamed that he doesn't have work. And it's like this line that he's just out buying time, trying to like do stuff. And so there's a whole aspect of humiliation and shame these guys have been standing there all day long it's five o'clock they haven't like given up they're not lazy they want to work but but no nobody's given them jobs and so the, he's like why are you guys standing idle there's this nobody's hired us like we want to work we want and he said same thing you go to you go, you go to my vineyard and, and I'll, whatever's right i'll pay you at the end now these guys expect 10 bucks you know like like one hour's wages like by the time they get there like I imagine they're getting there in time to start cleaning up at the end of the day like I don't know what's all involved in cleaning up but every work day if it's work days is 12 hours, it seems about that a last hour and a half people are like oh, okay, let's start shifting gears the work's almost done we're losing sunshine if the, if the hours if it's six hours at five hours everybody starts shutting down. So they're showing up at the end of the day. And so now you have one, two, three, four, five groups of men that have been sort of hired out throughout the day at, di- at different intervals. We now come to the very end of the workday. Uh, biblically, the the landowner has to pay the men for their work. And so in verse eight, we read, when evening came, the owner when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers. And pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. This is that same phrase, that axiom found in verse 30, also found in verse 60. So in Jesus' story, this is a story. This isn't, this isn't something that happened in real life. This is a story that Jesus is telling to sort of make his point. And so he tells the foreman, go tell everybody um, that it's time that, you know, the workday is over, blow the bell, they're done, call them in. But when you pay them, I want you to pay them from the last person hired to the first person hired. And we're verse 9 here. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. Now, remember, only the first group negotiated a price. Everybody following the first group, so groups 2 through 5, he just said, I'll pay you whatever's fair, whatever's right. He didn't say what's fair. He said, I'll pay you what's right. And so these guys that showed up at 5 p.m., they've been there for an hour he whips out his, you know, hundred dollar bill. Here you go, guys. Pays all the guys. Can you imagine what the other people are starting to think? They got a hundred bucks. That's what I negotiated at twelve hours ago for a whole day's labor. If one hour is worth a hundred bucks, I'm gonna get twelve times. See, like it's gonna be like, I'm gonna get twelve hundred bucks. This guy's awesome. This is one of the best bosses in the world. But then as the whole the groups go by, they each get their denarius. Hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. 100 bucks. Verse ten When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and have you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. That's not fair. They are fuming. They've been there since 6 a.m. It's 6 p.m., it's 120 degrees. In this, I mean, it's literally the scorching heat. You imagine the Santa Ana as the type of the day. We've been busting our rears all day long. These guys show up in time to clean up, and he's getting paid the same as I am. Like, this is true frustration, true anger. But remember, this whole story has nothing to do about working in the field. Jesus is highlighting the question that, that Peter just asked about, what about us? We walked away from everything. We're super special. Aren't we going to be important in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to have rewards. You're going to be there. But there's, don't, get, don't get so high and mighty on yourselves. Like really, in, in many ways, it's been revolutionary for me studying this. this. This whole parable is sort of a scolding of Jesus to the disciples in their hearts about always wanting to be the top dog, always wanting to make themselves better than everybody else, always judging themselves against others and wanting to be better. So Jesus is telling them to humble them and to recognize that everything they have is by God's grace, and God. It, it, the story is about this merciful, kind, gracious, loving God, and to stop looking at other people, is kind of what he like, like what he's saying. You're here to serve me. Don't worry how I treat the other servants. And this is a powerful story. And Jesus does it in a way like whoa, 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 whoa. He he nailed the rich young ruler, and it always has made me wonder like. Like, we don't know how this, we know about the young rich ruler that he was young, that he was wealthy, that he was rich, that he loved, like, that he seemed to love God, that he seemed to be humble, that he walks away. And so we're quick to think, oh, we're not going to see that guy in heaven, but we don't know how the rest of his life turned out. And this story that follows or that's connected to, it makes me wonder if by the end of that young man's life, did he surrender all and follow Christ? I, I don't know. But the story seems to indicate that if that guy at his deathbed surrendered everything to Christ, I could see Peter, James, and John, and all the others like, that's not right. So he gives his life when he's about to die, and then he trusts in Jesus. And we, like, walked away from our very successful businesses. We, we walked away from everything, and our lives were taken. And this guy who lives rich and enjoyed the good life and did all his stuff, and then suddenly the last moment... You're gonna allow him to turn to you and get light like that's just not fair. This is the story that's being told here. And if I can figure out what verse I'm in, we'll continue. <laughs> or verse thirteen. But he answered and said to them, "Friend, am I doing? I am doing you no wrong. I'm, I'm not doing you any wrong. Like by paying you the denarius, that's not. I, I, I didn't rip you off. I didn't. I'm actually paying you a wage." That is more than, than, than what the, the average worker gets, makes during the day. Did you not agree with me for, like, didn't we, like, shake hands at the first, like, say, hey, I'll pay you 20 denarius. You, you walked off skipping out of here looking at the others, like, we landed the best job of the day. A whole denarius for 12 hours? That's amazing. He's like, Did, didn't, like, I was there, you agreed to this. This was a good thing. Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as I gave to you. Like, what does this say about this landowner? This landowner who, he seems to say, I'm gracious, I have resources, I have care. Like, this man hasn't been slacking. Like, he was standing there all day looking for work. And because I have the means, if I want to hire him for a day and pay him for a full day's labor to bless his family, like, That's my prerogative. I can do that. Verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish to do with my own? Of course it is. Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? Like, are you getting mad at others because I'm such a generous landowner? And then Jesus, this is now Jesus. We're stepping out of the story. Jesus is making the same point that he made in verse 30. So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And then we move away from the story. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. But when I look, when I look at the story, some, as we sort of head into communion, there's some lessons from this parable that I do, I do think fit with communion. I think the first lesson that we need to learn as individuals is we should be super thankful that God isn't fair. Like that's a good thing that God isn't fair with us, because if we really wanted fair with us, like if if we wanted Him to be fair with us, the the reality is is we're terribly sinful, and our and our and our sinfulness is as much as we like to water it down and make it seem like well ah, it's not that bad. We start looking at other people and comparing it, but see the measuring stick is we take communion, and and the measuring stick is the cross, is Christ, who is holy, perfect, without blemish, God's. Totally and completely holy, we can say that, but i don 't think that we can understand that like i just don 't I, I think that the longer we walk with him the, the the greater understanding we have, but I still think at the end of our lives we don 't really grasp how holy he is and so so fairness would mean that we would be condemned all of us. fairness would be that he would just like the fact that we 're alive, the fact that we have any grace, the fact that we we can feed ourselves, we can clothe ourselves that like like this is all god's like he's so gracious, so kind, so merciful to us um, i I think that Jesus is trying to help them to understand this concept of grace, which is so hard for us to understand it, it's it's hard for us at times to like in in one sense we can receive it but but even to really live under grace and to understand how gracious God is with us. It's so easy for us to go into this, um, this, this system of feeling like, okay, well, I'm saved by grace, but, but really if I want to please God, then I need to do all of these things. Um, I think for us as parents, it's so easy for us to, to move away from grace and to put all of these expectations. We might not realize it, but to say, well, if you have all of these accomplishments, then I'll love you. You might not mean that, but that's sort of what's happening to you, to our kids. And so we need to understand God's great. He's saying, I love you. I created you my child. Like, I've created you for good works, but I love you because you're my creation. I love you because I formed you. And so I think when I look at this story, as we come to communion, I think there's sort of two groups here. There's to those who are hired first, I... I um, for, for much of my Christian life, I probably identified with a second group, but i'm i 'm having to come to terms with you know I'm, i've been a Christian for twenty years now, and I, i've I'm probably have to sort of more take the warning to the to the group in the first like hey, listen, you live your life, you walk with the Lord all the days of your life don't get upset and angry at god 's gracious like like we need to be like him, we need to be gracious and kind and loving to those who maybe come along later or are struggling in their walk, not, not to sort of look down um, in anger and judgment and resentment because you've been doing the right thing. You've been living your life right, and they're off here slacking off, and yet God's been so gracious to them. Like, I think that's the main lesson in this. But I also think to those that if you were hired, you know, so to speak, in the last hour, um, like if you've lived your whole life and you have, you know, 10 years to live in your life, And you came to Christ late in your life. It's so easy to to, to feel, uh, which is how I felt at 22, like when I came to Christ, it was sort of like, I felt like I was damaged fruit, damaged goods, that I was no good for his kingdom because of all of the things that I'd sort of squandered away. That if you're in Christ, you're not damaged goods. You are his child. It's not by our works that we're saved. It's by the broken body. And the blood of Christ, it's his grace that we've been made new. And so you can stop beating yourself up for your past. Like God forgave you, it's okay for you to forgive yourself. Now, as a warning, because grace is like a danger, like it's like there's a part of us, it kind of makes me like, this isn't, uh, hey, go on and just live your life and be crazy and sin and go dabble in all this stuff. And then right before you die, and surrender your life to him and sort of you know but, but this isn't an instruction to delay um, i've only found that the older you get the more callous your heart becomes so to just to, 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 to assume that you're going to be more open to god in 20 years than you are right now um, I, I think is a false assumption um and so today we're going to take communion um This this really is a time when we celebrate the unfairness of God. (laughs) Like if you think about it, like like do you think it was fair that Jesus, the Messiah, died on the cross? Like Philippians says that he was God. He came to heaven in, in 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 the form of a man, which is sort of like a derogatory statement for God. Like that's not a good thing. We think, oh man, like we are awesome beings, but when you're God, it's like, oh man. That'd be like us saying, Well, I took the form of a cockroach. It's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> like he stepped out of heaven, became a man. He lived his life without sin. Like there was no imperfection in him, like him. Like he, he was fully man, he struggled, he was tempted as we are, and yet he did not sin. He did not stumble. And so he 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 went to the cross. And he didn't deserve it. It's not fair that he went to the cross. Like, fairness is that we should have been there. That should have been us. And even in our deaths, we can't restore anyone else. All we can do is sort of make payment uh, partially because there's an eternal uh, time in hell of of punishment to pay back for our own sins, let alone to sort of get anybody else off the hook. Like, we, we don't have that sort of holiness within us. But but Christ being God, Christ being the perfect lamb, he could go there without it being fair. He could go there. He could, he could have his body broken and crushed by his own choice so that we might have life in his death. And so I'm super thankful uh, that God wasn't fair. I'm super thankful that God was merciful. I'm super thankful that God was gracious to me. Because I don't deserve any of this, and neither do you guys. Not to be like not to throw stones, but none of us deserve it. And and so as we take communion, everybody's welcome. To, you know, I, I always surprise me. Like who's available? Who's allowed to come take communion? If I'm a visitor, like everybody, like if you've received Christ as your Savior, then communion is for you, and you're welcome to participate in communion because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're in Christ. And so as we take communion, it's a time for us to sort of, to reflect and and remember what Jesus did on our behalf. It's a time for us to sort of uh, reflect on our own life, to examine our own hearts. And as Christians, we still sin, amen? Yes, yes. <laughs> and as we sin as Christians, it's not that we lose our salvation. It's, it's that's our relationship. To, to me, the idea of, of sinning as a believer, it's the idea of, when you're married and you get in a fight with your spouse, are you still married? Yes. <laughs> are things kind of like cozy in the bed at night? No. <laughs> there's, there's tension. And so as Christians, when we sin, it sort of severs that sort of relationship that we have with God, not for not like we've divorced God that we've been cut away. But that God is gracious, that he's the leader with us. And he says, if you sin, what I want you to do, I want you to come before me. I want you to confess. And as, you're, as you confess, I will restore, I will cleanse, I will make right the, the relationship that was hindered because of your sin. And so communion is this time really every day we should be uh, confessing our sin. And if you can't think of anything, then pride's a good one. Like, that's a good thing to confess. Like, Lord, I'm so prideful, I really, I can't see any sin in my life. So pride's always a good place to start, Um, and always, you know, this is, we're told in 1 Corinthians 11, that we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, that when we take communion, we're reminded of the gospel. And and I love our community, I love Western Day, I love this whole, from, from, from like everything that happens, there's a lot I don't participate in, but from the parade, to coffee, to the rodeo, I mean, I had to spend a lot of time at a rodeo to realize there's a whole lot of people out there that need Jesus. Like we, there's there's people in our community that need the Lord. And, and so that's what we're compelled to be out amongst our community, being lights, being out there with people, sharing with them the good news uh, that there's this wonderful landowner that will pay you a whole day's wages, even if you come to, to him this late in life. And so, Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you. You are so good to us. We thank you that you are not fair. Father, I pray that you would um, guard us, Lord, from the sin of, of thinking that we want fairness with you. I think when we long for fairness, it shows that we've taken our eyes off of you, we've taken our eyes off of ourselves, and we're looking around amongst other people And we're measuring ourselves against them. And we think that we are doing so much better than they are. And so, Lord, that's not right. Father, we recognize that as we take communion today, Lord, that you are the standard. You are the measure of holiness and purity and goodness. And as we're honest with ourselves, as we evaluate your goodness, your holiness, your righteousness in light of our own, it doesn't take long to realize that we have nothing to bring to the table, that we've all fallen short of the glory that you have. And Lord, we take communion today. We are reminded, Lord, that you're so gracious to us. You're so kind to us. You're so loving to us. Father, we remember your body that was broken for us. Father, we um, thank you that you paid it all for us. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you, honoring to you, that we would do the good works that you've called us to. We thank you, Lord, that you reward those who do well for you. And Lord, as we seek to, to live for you, I pray that you would, build a humility and a love for others um, with deep within us, Lord. Uh, Father, give us your eyes, Lord. Help us to be burdened for those that are lost. Um, Help us to rejoice as you rejoice when people uh, turn their lives to you. We thank you for your grace. Help us to understand it more, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.